Jesus told stories to teach, to relate truths to people's lives, to help us understand God, to help us have a better life. Oftentimes, he started his storytelling by saying, It's like a farmer who went out to plant some seed. It's like a man who had two sons. It's like a king who called his servant in to settle the debt he owed. It's like a man who was attacked by robbers on his way to Jericho. It's like a rich man who had an abundant harvest. It's like a man of noble birth who gave his servants some money to invest. It's like... It's like... It's like... Good morning. Thanks for being here today. Well, we're in the second week of a series called It's Like, where we're looking at stories that Jesus told in the New Testament that oftentimes he started with those two words, it's like. And then he would tell a story that would help his listeners compare their life with God's ideal. It would convict the heart of those far from God. It would reveal God's heart for mankind. It would tell us how to live. And so for several weeks, we're going to look specifically at six different stories in the life of Christ and see what they have to say to us. If you read through the New Testament, the stories are called parables. And the word, the original word in Greek, which the New Testament was originally written in, for parables, meant, it, it meant basically to bring things side by side. And so by telling these stories, Jesus is saying, I want you to bring your life in line with me. I want you to change, think differently, motivate you by telling these stories so your life can be brought side by side with my will, my desire, and my hopes for you. So I hope as we go through this series, you go home and you read these stories again in your own Bible you research them yourself and you think, what does this have to say to me? Because one of the reasons Jesus told stories was so people could find themselves in them and maybe walk away and scratch their head and think, well, how does that apply to me? And which character am I in this story? Several years ago, I was in a used bookstore and I was looking through uh, some books that I, that I wanted to find. And, and one, I came across this book and it was, a, I don't remember the title of it, but it was about... Uh, the order of birth in your family unit had influence on your personality. And it was just a theory. Sometimes that you can find people and say, well, that's perfect. And some, that ah, doesn't quite fit. So I'm, I look at the front of the book. I flip to the table of contents. I'm the baby of the family. So I find baby. I flip over to whatever chapter and write the first word said something like, I want you to know that I'm on to you. I know that you checked in the table of contents and you flipped straight to this chapter because you think this book is all about you. <laughs> and it said, please go back to the front, start reading to get the most out of this book. And remember, it's not all written for you. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. I, so I just put it down, walked away, want anything to do with that book. Well, the story today that Jesus tells has to do with, it has to do with two brothers and a father. It has to do with an older brother and a younger brother. And Jesus is talking to a group of people that he's hoping as they hear this story, they find themselves in this story. And they get a better understanding of why Jesus does things the way he does, why he hangs out with the people he hangs out with, and why he teaches the way he teaches. 
But before I get to that story, I want to set up what was going on in the ministry of Jesus before he tells them this story of two lost sons and their father. Jesus was the kind of teacher when he taught, people were just attracted. They wanted to hear. People who were felt like they were close to God, they would gather close so they could hear what Jesus had to say. People who knew they were very far from God, Jesus spoke in a way that drew them in and made them want to hear, and some of them ended up changing because of what they heard. So that should tell us that when the message of Christ is taught, it's going to attract people that are far from God. When the real message of Jesus is shared, it's going to make people who are far from God say, I need to hear that. And some of those people may change. So that's what's going on in the ministry of Jesus. You have this group of people who are religious people listening, and then you have these groups of people who, the religious people who were sinners and didn't know it, and then you had the group who were sinners and knew it, and both of them wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And so they've come together in this one place, and they're listening And that's where we pick up the story in the book of Luke, chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming down with Bibles right now. Just raise your hand if you would like to follow along in Luke, chapter 15, and read this story with me. It's also going to be displayed on the screen. You can take that Bible home with you if you want it, or you can leave it in the back on your way out today. So Luke, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees, that's just the religious leaders of the day, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now there's a lot of meaning packed into those couple of verses, but Jesus is now motivated because they ask this question or make this declaration about, well, this guy attracts sinners and tax collectors. And for some reason that confused the religious leaders of the day, so Jesus is motivated to explain himself. And so he starts with some stories. Well, it's like, it's like this, or, and he's beginning to reveal God's heart to this group of people who are saying, Jesus, you're not doing it the way we expect you to do it. Jesus, we don't understand. Why are you hanging out with sinners, with tax collectors? See, sinners were just that. They were sinners, People that lived far from God, did things they shouldn't do, uh, horrible thoughts, horrible actions, that, you know, just whatever you think a sinner is, that's what it were. And then, and then tax collectors, they were like a level below that because nothing changes, does it, in years and centuries. But they were even below that because they, they turned on their own people and they stole money and they collected money they weren't supposed to collect. And, and so these religious leaders were wondering, why are you around these people? And it's interesting, if you read through the ministry of Christ, you will find out that he seemed to enjoy spending more of his time around those who were very far from him than he did around those who thought they were very close to him. He was always getting in trouble. He was accused of being a drunkard. He was accused of hanging out with prostitutes. Well, he did. And he was accused of being like them and with them. Mark Twain said this, Having spent considerable time with good people, I can see why Jesus liked to be with sinners and tax collectors. (laughs) So Jesus, seeing this attitude these people have, tells three stories. This is the only place that he tells these, these three stories or three parables back to back. 
Jesus was a master teacher, and he had this way of confronting sin in the context of a conversation without people even realizing until the end that's what he was doing. And so he tells three stories when they say, you welcome sinners and tax collectors. And his response was, it's like a shepherd who had a bunch of sheep and one of them ran off. And he went after the one and he went and found it. And when he found it, he put it on his shoulders and he brought it back. These would have been people in a farming culture. They would have understood this whole shepherd sheep uh, thing going on and why he would have gone after it and how important that was. He finds the sheep, he comes back, he brings it back and they have a party because that which was lost was found. And I'm sure many of the religious leaders in the crowd were like, oh, okay, those horrible sinners and tax collectors, they're lost sheep. All right, makes sense. Well, then Jesus kind of kicks it up a little bit and talks about something that's even more important. He says, it's like a lady who had a coin and she lost it. And when she lost it, she swept her house. She did everything high and low. She's looking for this coin. Well, in that culture, that coin that she had would have represented her security, her ability to get married. It would have represented wealth to her. So losing it was like losing a part of her identity. She would have been reduced. Without this coin, she could have been reduced to begging, being single her whole life. She could have been reduced to prostitution to make a living. So this coin meant a lot. And Jesus tells the story of this woman just turning her house upside down looking for something. She lost something of value. You ever lose anything of value? I mean, if you lose your keys, first you blame everybody in the house that they moved them, right? You put them right there, you know it. So you blame everybody. What'd you do with my keys? I know you did something with my keys. Does anybody do that besides me or am I unique? And you blame everybody because I could not have possibly lost my keys. When we lose something of value, we will do, do go to great lengths. Just this past week, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you saw a little picture of this. I was putting gas, I was pumping gas, laid my phone down, put the gas pump back in, got in the car, drove away. Five miles up the road, I was like, oh my gosh, my phone, I left it back there. And we went back, it was gone. And I was like, girls, I had three teenage girls in the car. I was like, we got to find it. This is $600. You don't understand if we don't find this thing. So it was like an all-out search, and we're going to find it, and we're going to look. So we started searching. Well, maybe it made it a mile, and then it fell off. So everybody, keep your eyes peeled. There's a guy mowing grass. I bet he's already run over it, and it's like in pieces somewhere. And, and so we didn't see it, but we were on an all-out search. And so Jesus tells these stories to illustrate when something is lost, people, I will go on an all-out search to find it. And I'm sure the religious leaders were like, well, of course. He's talking about these sinners and tax collectors. And, when they're, and, and they're the sheep. They're the coin. And that's pretty cool, Jesus, that you're here to help them out. You're here to find them. And so some of them probably would have got it. Gotten the two stories of two things lost. But some of them wouldn't have been doing a very good job at evaluating. We struggle with that too. We, to evaluate ourselves while we're listening. It, isn't it easy to evaluate somebody else while you're hearing a message? Like if, if I say something that's real convicting or kind of hits in the heart. Sometimes, and I do this when I'm listening to someone speak. I'm like, I know somebody that needs to hear that. 
Or it's like, oh, I wish my husband was here. I wish my wife was here. My kids, those, honey, look and see if the kids are listening. They need to listen to this. We tend to like think about what other people need to hear. And Jesus is recognizing that's what these religious leaders are doing. They're thinking about, well, hey, Jesus is talking about these sinners and these tax collectors. And so he tells another story. Except this one has a twist in it. It has another character introduced. And in verse 11 it says, Jesus continued after the first two stories. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So there's, there's three characters. There's the dad who has property, obviously. And there's one son who came to his dad and said, Hey, I would like to have this now. I want it all now. And so the dad agreed and he gave son, the, the, young, the older son his part and he gave the younger son his part. So both sons got their inheritance because the younger son went and asked. Now you, if you look in your Bible, it says at a heading probably the prodigal son or the lost son. Well, that, that's, that's added by translators. That's not like, you know, when Luke was writing this down, he wasn't going, okay, prodigal son, right? He didn't do it that way. Later on, people titled in our Bible so we could find it a little bit easier. But prodigal son, singular, is not accurate. Lost son, singular, is not accurate. As we'll see as we read through this, there were two sons, and both of them were lost. Both of their hearts were away from their father. But Jesus immediately starts to focus on the younger son who says, give me money. Now, in that culture, there were very strict rules about inheritance, one of the rules, just like our culture is, culture is, before you receive an inheritance, the person giving the inheritance probably dies. But in their culture, you could go and you could request your inheritance before the person died. And that's what he's done. Before his dad died, he wanted all of his stuff. And so his dad said, okay. I will divide all of this. And it would have been like property and flocks and, and things. It wouldn't have been like a bank account. And so he divides it. And the ownership was given to each son. But in order for the son to sell it or to, to do anything with it, the father had to die before he could really take possession of the property as his. But there was also a law that said if the son who received the inheritance, wanted to sell it, he could, under one condition, the person who buy, who's buying it would fall under the same laws as the son selling it and not be able to do anything with it until the person died. So it could transfer hands one time, he would get the money, but then the people who got it, they couldn't do anything with it. So if he sold it, it, he would not have sold it for what it was worth. He was just like, I've got to get out of this family. I've got to get out of this house. And so I'll just take whatever I can get to the highest bidder. Now, you can't use this till my dad finally dies, but here. And so he sold his share of the estate probably for a greatly reduced amount, like a fire sale, so he could get the cash for whatever reason he wanted to get out from under his father's house. He wanted to leave. And so he sells it to someone who's willing to wait till the old man dies so they can get their money out of it. And he was bent on doing things his way. So 
the younger son said, I don't care. This is what I want. I want, the, I want my inheritance. Now I'm going to sell it for less than it's worth. I'm going to take the cash and I want it my way. If you're taking notes, write this down. Insisting on doing things my way will get me into trouble. If you have kids, or if you are a kid, I mean, there are times you just want things your way, right? And, and they insist sometimes on having it their way. I can remember growing up, I knew that I knew more than my parents. I was positive. How, what could they possibly know? They're older. And it's, it's, then it was like, it's the 80s, man. Come on, mom, dad, get with it. I know more than you know. And finally, I got past that. My wife is like, really? I mean, you think? <laughs> I don't think so. I think he's still working on it. But when, when a kid thinks they are right all the time, what goes on? Constant battle. Trouble is around the corner when somebody thinks, when somebody insists on doing things their way all the time. I struggle with that because I think I know best most of the time. And you probably do too. Well, I know best because of whatever. There was a time when I was making a decision as a leader, as a lead pastor. And I was right at the edge of making this decision. It was just to do something administratively. And my wonderful wife says, have you, have, have you really thought this through? Have you thought about this? And, and she doesn't do that very often. And she's like, have, have you really thought about this? And I'm like, honey, come on. I do this all day, every day. I know what I'm doing. I'm the lead pastor. What could you possibly know about? What? I said that in my head, not outside. <laughs> so I was like, okay, all right. I'll consider what you say. But I went ahead and did it my way. And not long after that, I was like, oh my gosh, she was right. And I've had to go back and, you know, on my knees, honey, I thought these things like I knew better, but actually you knew better because you walk obviously much closer to God than I do. So, <laughs> so I will come and ask you from now on, what do you think I should do? Now, you're the same way. And if you live with somebody who has to have their way all the time, you need to look out because sooner or later, trouble's coming. And Jesus is stressing that in this story. Insisting on your way being the only way is going to get you in trouble. And the young son did this, and listen what happened to him. After he got the money for the, for the estate, he comes, he, it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off to a distant country. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This is like riches to rags story. He had everything. He was not in need. But now, because he insisted on having his way, he's in need. And he longed to eat what the pigs were eating. The little pods, the, 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 the pine cone looking things off of a tree were what pigs ate and what the very, very poor ate who were about to die of hunger. And he was longing for those because he was so hungry, not just physically, but spiritually. And he insisted on having his way in spite of everything around him. But there's this moment in verse 17, Jesus says, these words, when he came to his senses. And that's, pic, the word picture of that is when he looked in the mirror. 
when he took a long look at himself. I've gotten real acquainted with myself looking in the mirror and thinking, why did I do that? Thinking, what is your problem? How in the world could you have said that or done that or treated someone that way? How in the world could you have walked that far away from God? How could you do that? Everybody gets there eventually. Everybody gets to the place where they need to come to their senses and wake up and realize what I'm doing is selfish. What I'm doing is destroying my family. What I'm doing is destroying relationships. I've had the, and it's a privilege to be around people when they do that. And I've had people either come down here or come by the office and say, things have to change in my life. And that's when they're starting to come to their senses, when they're starting to look into the mirror and say, what does God want me to do? No matter what you're doing, no matter what you see when you look in the mirror, when it's like, oh, I'm coming to my senses. I got to stop this or I got to start that. You need to know that it's never too late to turn things around. You can't mess up too much. You can't get far enough away from God. It's never, there's never a time, as long as you're breathing, that it's just too late to turn things around. And this young man does that. He wakes up, does some self-examination, and he goes back home. And then Jesus tells the part of the story that wanderers like me have identified with for centuries, since the day Jesus told it. In verse 20, Jesus said, still talking about the young man, so he got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And Jesus wants them to get this, and he's saying things in their culture that would have made all of those people think, what is he talking about? He's trying to explain forgiveness to them. And he does it in a way where the father broke some cultural and religious rules. The father, number one, was looking. So if he was looking, maybe the father went out there every day and said, I wonder if this is going to be the day my son comes back home. I wonder if this is going to be the day that he finally comes to his senses. I wonder if this is going to be the day when he wants to be close to me again. And maybe you come and sit in these seats every week. You need to know that God is in your corner saying, I wonder if this is going to be the day that they finally say, I'm tired of this life. I want a different one. I wonder if this is going to be the day when, when they hear me speaking through the person on stage and they make a decision to turn and bring their life either back to where it used to be or towards me in the first place. See, that's what God does. That's who the Father is. It's God looking out saying, I wonder if he's coming home. And then to get the attention of his listeners, Jesus says that this father does a couple of things that a father wouldn't normally do. Number one, he runs. In that culture, men would have worn long-looking robes, looked like dresses, and they didn't run. It was disgraceful to run because it showed their legs. Now, we're a casual church, and some of you have shorts on. Some of you have shorts that should not have shorts on because you either need to shave or get a tan. You know what I'm saying? Or take up jogging or something. So this guy takes off running 
And the religious leaders would have said, why is he running? People can see his legs. It was just disgraceful. And then he does something that's unthinkable. He wraps his arms around his son and hugs him and kisses him. He had just been with pigs. He was probably dirty. He probably smelled bad. He was probably not, didn't even have very many clothes on. And the father runs as if he's as clean as he just came out of the bathtub. And he puts his arms around him and he hugs him and he kisses him and he starts to celebrate. And by this time, the religious leaders are starting to say, well, hold on a second. We get the lost coin and the lost sheep, but now this is getting a little crazy. If, if God is that father, then are you saying that God will run to me wherever I am, that God will, will come to me when I decide that I need him in my life? And Jesus would say, yes, God will run to you when you decide you need him in your life. The young man had a speech prepared when his dad got to him, and he didn't even get to, get to go through the speech. Immediately it says, but the father said to his servants, after he hugged him and kissed him and welcomed him home, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For his son, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And with those words, Jesus takes these, this, this group of people, he takes their view of God and he totally turns it around. He's communicating to them I am happy that these people you call sinners and tax collectors have, have come to listen to what I have to say. But see, they did a great job at doing what people do a great job at today too, unfortunately, is always seeing the sinner as somebody else instead of seeing the sinner as themselves. And Jesus knew that they were thinking that. So he throws in another character, the good guy, the one they would have said, oh, what a great guy. He, he stayed there with his father and he obeyed all the rules. So picture this family unit, the dad, the older son, and then the younger son, and the younger son finally leaves. The younger son, they, the, the, the older son probably thought like, well, he's the favorite son. He gets all the cool stuff. He gets everything. I'm going to stay here with dad and I'm going to be faithful to dad. That's what they're thinking in their mind. So picture the older son out in the fields working, the younger shoot from the hip brother that's rebellious and selfish takes off and he's probably like, finally, that kid's gone. I can have dad to myself. But he starts to say some things that reveals what was really on his heart. He's out in the field, he's coming in, he's all dirty and sweaty and probably off in the distance he hears, you know, like a party going on. It's like, what? What's happening? He, he, you know, the lights are flashing in the tents. And he, he begins to have this anger well up inside of him, and it starts to reveal what's on his heart. And he says, it says in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. See, the father went out to both of them. But he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitute, prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. See, he said something that really reflected his heart because he said, look, and literal translation would be, look you. He doesn't even say, look, dad. He's like, look you, look, you're having a party for this 
this son of yours, he's already disowned him as a brother. But yet, even though this guy's heart's a mess, he's doing all the right things on the outside. He's obeying his father. He's obeying all the right rules. So that tells me, Jesus telling this story, says doing all the right things won't, doesn't necessarily change a heart. Doing all the external right things doesn't change what's inside because this guy is saying really what's on his heart. Like sometimes when our anger gets up and the pressure is on and we say something and it's like, I don't know where that came from. I do not know. I cannot believe I said that. Well, it came out because it was in your heart. It was down in there and just everything lined up and the stars lined up just right and you said it. And you, you know where it came from. It came from deep down inside because you've been harboring it down there just like this kid was doing all the time that his younger brother was gone. So then Jesus introduced this twist of this older brother. And he's hoping that those who are thinking everything is okay in their life will take a look in the mirror. See, on the surface, they seemed different, but inside they were the same. They were both far from the Father. They were both rebellious. See, the younger son lived as if the father didn't exist, and the older son lived as if his brother didn't exist. The younger son determined his morals by what he felt. Like, well, if I feel like doing this, I'm going to do it. It must be okay because I feel it, and I'm in charge of my life, and if I feel it, then I'm doing it. The younger son would have never allowed anyone to impose their morals, even God himself, upon on him because, hey, he he wants to rule his own life. And so he's going to be the one that determines right from wrong. And he would not have used this standard outside of himself, but even he eventually woke up. The older son, while the younger son had this rebellious, hard heart that he did not want to consider his father's way to live, The older son had no compassion. He was numb to the fact that he needed the same forgiveness that the younger son needed. One thing in that culture you need to understand, the the older son who often gets left out when people read this story, his obligation as the older son in the family was to be a mediator if there was any conflict. That, that culturally, that's what the older son's supposed to do. So the older son, if he would have seen the younger son asking for the inheritance, should have been the one to smack him on the back of the head and say, what are you thinking? And take he, he and the father together and say, brother, dad, work this out. We are a family. I want you two to be together. That was the older son's obligation. And Jesus is hoping that these religious leaders start to scratch their heads and say, Oh, you mean we're supposed to be the one reaching the sinners and tax collectors? Jesus would say, yes, you are. You are the one that's supposed to be teaching in a way that draws them to you and motivates some of them to change. So as followers of Christ, as church leaders, we are the ones obligated with speaking the words of Christ in such a way that draws people who are far from God towards God and motivates some of them to change. I mean, all of them won't. Even Jesus couldn't change everybody. And Jesus is hoping that as we read this story, we find ourselves in each of those characters and think, okay, if I'm the younger brother, this is what I need to do. If I'm the older brother, this is what I need to do. And we've all been at both of those places at different points in our lives. 
If you're, if you're that little brother today, it is not too late to turn things around. If you're that big brother today, wake up and stop looking down your nose at somebody that makes mistakes. Jesus wants us to find ourselves in both of these people. Both of these brothers wanted the same thing from their father, stuff. One did it just through saying, Dad, give me your stuff. The other did it through thinking, well, if I just endure longer here, then Dad will have to give me his stuff, or he will definitely when he dies. Neither of them wanted a relationship when Jesus is telling the story because they were focused only on what they could get. And if I only focus on what I can get from God, I'm going to miss all that he has for me. So the story ends really open-ended with, with Jesus saying, replaying this conversation between the father and the older son. So the older son's angry, the younger son's in there dancing with the family, and he says to the older son, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Both boys needed to be found. And the father wanted both of them to feel like they were in, that they were part of the family in spite of everything that they had done. Oh, by the way, I found my phone. <laughs> I had to drive 30 miles to find it. Molly happened to remember, hey, I have Friend Finder on my phone. Let's see if we can find it. So she called up Friend Finder, and there was my phone beeping up Capitol Boulevard all the way up. And we follow it, we get to this place, and I, if you want to know the rest of the story, you can ask me later. But I get the phone back. These people had picked it up, and they, they gave it back to me, totally confused as to how in the world did that guy find us 30-some miles from where we picked up the phone. And I'm sure they went to bed. I didn't tell them. I just left it open-ended. I was like, thank you for my phone back. I really appreciate it. God will find you no matter where you are. He has this way of finding you. And he will look the way the father looked for the son who was lost. And he will invite in the one who's still with him, but not really with him. And no matter when a turn is made, God celebrates when I make a turn. In fact, Jesus talks about how there's a party in heaven when people make a turn. And if you've ever made that turn, there was, there was a party. That's what Jesus said. People, there's rejoicing in heaven. So one day it was for me. One day it was for you. We mess up. We make mistakes. We turn around. We self-evaluate. We look in the mirror and realize we've got to change. Just leave here today saying these words, I want the party. Go home and read this story for yourself. Find yourself in it. And know that we've got this father that waits for us, that understands us, and expects us to be his voice to people who are far from God. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story that has changed so many lives over the past 2,000 years. I pray people today who hear it see the things they need to change and change. God, help us find ourselves in it. Help us look in the mirror and evaluate. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.